Huckabee, Alan Dershowitz shoots straight on an impeachment. 9-11 first responder Rich Picciotto and Dennis Swanberg brings the last. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Wilfrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Thank you very much. We have a great audience here in our theater in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. And thank you for joining us. Now, I was waiting in line at the airline service desk at Washington Reagan Airport just the other day when I saw something remarkable. A young lady, of course, at my age, young is pretty much everyone else, okay? <laughs> but there was a young lady, and she was distraught because her flight had been canceled, and she was desperate to get home for a family emergency. She was in tears. And that's when the gate agent, a black man probably closer to my age, went from around the counter and gave this young white woman a hug and sought to console her even as he was helping her find another flight. Now, he wasn't trying to be conspicuous in his actions. It was obviously a spontaneous and instinctive act of human kindness and compassion. And I'm not even sure that anyone else noticed as they waited for their own flights as they checked their smartphones or read books or papers. But I was touched by all of it, and I was reminded that not everyone in our world is hateful, angry, caught up in the bitterness of political conflict, are detached from their fellow human beings, are wrapped up in some racial identity politics. You see, I was blessed to be a witness to a random act of kindness. I told the airline employee that I appreciated this treating the young lady so graciously, and then I contacted the airline to report the unexpected good deed from their team member. You know, almost daily, somebody will come up to me in an airport or at some event where I'm speaking, and they tell me they see me on Fox News where I'm a contributor, and they'll add, I watch Fox 24-7. And I say to them, look, I love Fox but you shouldn't watch them or any news channel 24 hours a day. It will make you crazy. It will. Now, here's what I tell them. I tell them, listen to some music, take a walk, read a book, or watch some of the great shows like Huckabee on TBN. That's what you need to be doing. And here's my point. My point is that we need to not get so wrapped up in political news that it is all that we think about. Folks, I'm deeply interested in politics and government, and I care passionately, but it is not my entire life. And I hope it isn't yours. You can watch the news today, then take a seven-day news fast and stay away from all TV, radio, and newspaper news. And when you come back in seven days, you're going to hear pretty much the same story, see the same people spouting the same talking points as you did seven days before. In fact, you're going to be amazed how little actually changed. For the past eight years of the Obama administration, I listened to people who thought our country was in an economic and moral tailspin from which we would never recover. Some people worry themselves sick that the country won't survive Nancy Pelosi in the House. Or for some, they don't think our great republic will survive President Trump. It probably will. Now, while we are going to try to give you information and perspective about the events of our world, I got to tell you, I hope our show never makes your head explode with anger and frustration. My advice is this. Relax. Take a deep breath and balance your life like we try to balance this show with news that is honest and fair, but with content that makes you laugh, gives you hope, or reminds you of the good people who might do something as simple as giving a hug to a stranded airline passenger. Now, when people ask me how I keep from getting stressed out from all the bad news in the world, I simply tell them that I refuse to let that be all the news that I take in. And I've also got the benefit of never forgetting that my life is ultimately not in the hands of politicians, pundits, or publishers of papers, or any earthly power. It is in God's hands, and He is doing a whole lot more than just running around the halls of Congress. 
Sometimes, sometimes God is in the arms of a black airline employee hugging a young white lady who's having a hard day. And I sure hope I never miss those moments fretting about something way less important. Well, surprise, just as I predicted, Democrats were back in power for only minutes before they started pushing for impeachment. So joining us is one of America's foremost constitutional experts, attorney in many of the highest profile cases in America's legal history, and he's also the author of the brand new book called The Case Against the Democratic House Impeaching Trump. I once told him that if I ever called him at 2 a.m. to remember two things, Number one, please take my call. And number two, I'm probably guilty and I really need his help. Please welcome retired Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz. Alan, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to visit with you. Well, thanks. And I'll take your call whether you're innocent or guilty. And um, I'll always be there for you. Well, I appreciate it. I want to get right to the heart of this issue of the House potentially impeaching President Trump. Let's talk about the constitutional basis of impeachment. What is uh, the necessary threshold to even do that? Well, the framers were very careful. They did not want to have a British government where you can have the government fall if you don't have a majority support in the, in the parliament. And there was a big debate. And one of the framers said, why don't we just say maladministration in office? And they turned that down. And instead, they added the terms treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And I think you have to take the Constitution literally. It requires a crime, a serious crime, a high crime, not the kind of crime that Bill Clinton was accused of committing. That was a low crime. And there's a great story that illustrates that. When Hamilton was Secretary of the Treasury, he was seduced by a woman into having an adulterous affair, a felony, serious felony. And then he had to pay extortion to keep it secret. But then the extortionist accused him of taking the money from the Treasury funds. That would have been a high crime. And so he had to write an essay denying that because he knew that if he had taken money from the Treasury, high crime, adultery, extortion, low crime, one is impeachable, the other is not. Hamilton wrote the Federalist Papers about impeachment. He ought to know about which he speaks. When Bill Clinton was impeached by the House back in 1998, uh, it did not go well for the Republicans. They pushed it. Uh, they were able to get the impeachment articles passed. It went to the Senate and fell apart there, as would an impeachment against Donald Trump. And the very next week, Bill Clinton had the highest approval numbers of his career. Would the Democrats basically be do doing Donald Trump a big favor by impeaching him? Well, they would not be doing the American public a favor. Uh, when the Clinton uh, impeachment went forward, the stock market went down, America's credibility was hurt around the world. It hurts America when you violate the Constitution and put partisan politics over the constitutional mandates. Would it help Trump? Probably it would. It would probably solidify his base. It would be a very stupid thing to do. Look, the Democrats have a problem. They have a group of extreme radical leftists who are elected in small districts that are very radical in terms of their composition, but they don't reflect the typical American voter. And to the extent that they give in to these extremists, they shoot themselves in the foot. They destroy any possibility of winning the 2020 election. And I think the leaders, the adults in the room, like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, understand that. They don't want impeachment. On the other hand, they don't want to alienate the hard left base of the party. But they have to make some choices. And the choice has to be to marginalize hard left radical socialists who don't care uh, particularly about America's standing in the world, who care much more about pleasing their own radical constituencies. Professor, I think it's fair to say that uh, on the political spectrum, you're a liberal, you have been a long time, you're certainly to the left of me, but then again, most people yeah. are, so I, I guess that would be fair enough. But my point is this, you're not speaking here as a big Trump supporter, a Republican, somebody trying to defend uh, the right wing of America. You're speaking as a constitutional uh, professor and expert. Are the Democrats listening to you? Are they are they listening and saying, boy, we, we no. might better take this? Or are they mad at you right now? 
They're mad at me. Look, you remember, I originally wanted to write the book called The Case Against Impeaching Hillary Clinton because some Republicans were saying that if Hillary Clinton got elected, they would move her impeachment the first day. I actually have a cover that my publisher produced called The Case Against Impeaching Hillary Clinton. But when Trump was elected, I just changed a few <laughs> words. I wrote the same book. The Constitution is the same for Clinton and for Trump. But if I had written the book, The Case Against Impeaching Hillary Clinton, they'd be building statues to me in Democratic areas on Martha's Vineyard. Instead, I'm now a pariah because my arguments, which are identical, help Donald Trump rather than helping Hillary Clinton. Without a doubt, one of the reasons I've always had great respect for you is because when it comes to the Constitution and the law, you are agnostic politically. You are a purist. Uh, you disregard Absolutely. your own views. And I think that's one of the greatest traits that you bring to any discussion. But why is that so difficult for some of uh, the members of the House to understand? And it would just seem that this would be a very reasonable uh, acceptance that they don't like the election, but the way to fix it is mm -hmm. the next election, not impeachment. In a democracy, that's the recourse. Look, the Democrats did very well in the 2018 House uh, because they came up with programs that the American people uh, preferred. But the idea of going to impeachment, which the Constitution has as an absolute last resort, uh, instead of trying to win the election, on the merits. Look, I don't think there ever should have been a special counsel appointed. I think there should have been a bipartisan commission of experts to look into the Russian influence, not only on this election, but on past elections and future elections, with the goal to do something to stop Russia from trying to influence elections. Instead, we have special counsel in this, finger pointing, secret hearings, one-sided report will be presented, and the American public will learn very, very little, and very little will be done to stop Russia from intruding on future elections if they choose to do that. As always, you, uh, you make it plain and simple, and for an attorney to be able to do that, I would say is an extraordinary gift. Alan Dershowitz, thank you so much for being with me. Our thanks to uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz for reminding us that we are a nation of laws. And his brand new book is called The Case Against the Democratic House Impeaching Trump. It is available now at Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. And if you're thinking you know something about impeachment, I suggest you read his book because you will know a lot more and you'll know it from the master of the Constitution. You can also follow him on Twitter at Alan Dersh. It's on your screen. All right, Keith, I'm not going to impeach you if you'll just simply tell us what's coming up next. That's very reassuring. Thank you very much. Coming up, 9-11 first responder Rich Picciotto. Then Dennis Swanberg brings the last. And later, a history reenactor is cut off from California students because he's conservative. Huckabee's off and running tonight, and you don't want to miss a moment. The man you're about to meet is a retired deputy chief from the New York City Fire Department. He was in charge of the men and women in South Manhattan who responded on 9-11. He's retired now, but his service and legacy are why we wanted to recognize Rich Picciotto as this week's Huck's Hero. Rich, I want to say what an extraordinary privilege it is to have you here. You've got a book called Last Man Down, and it's a story, an incredible story, New York Times bestseller, of that day on 9-11. Take us back to that day, if you can. Um, when, when the first call came in, it said a plane had flown into the World Trade Center. Uh, my first, first thought was back to 1993, which I was working in 93, the day of the World Trade Center bombing. So my first thought was, this is a terrorist act. I was there in 93. I was in charge of evacuation. I wanted to be there. I wanted to help. When you got over there, what did you first see? I, I saw two, two towers in, uh, in flames. Horrendous. Saw people jumping out of the buildings. Just horrendous. Uh. Um, I, I went in and got a, uh, an assignment to try to get people that were trapped on various floors. I took a couple, uh, I took a fire company, we started going up, and uh, we worked our way up to, uh, 
to the 35th floor of the North Tower. North Tower was the first tower to be hit. When we got to the 35th floor of the North Tower, uh, the building started shaking and rumbling, and the South Tower, the building right next to it, collapsed. The South Tower collapsed first. The South Tower collapsed, and I was in the North Tower on the 35th floor. Um, once that happened, I got on my radio, I tried to find out what happened, because I thought something happened in the North Tower was so loud, uh, but realized that it was the South Tower. That, when I finally found out, and uh, I called for the evacuation. I was on the 35th floor of the North Tower at that point. 29 minutes later, I got from the 35th floor to about the sixth floor, and my building collapsed. You were in the building when it collapsed? I was in the building on approximately the sixth floor oh my. when, the, uh, when the, the North Tower collapsed. I knew I was alive with this small group of people, but I assumed there's 110 stories of debris above us. You know, even though we're alive, you know, I, I felt this was a crypt. There's no way we're ever going to get out. Not, not, you know, maybe five, six months from now, they'll discover, you know, some bodies. How were you rescued? How did, how did it turn uh, out? You have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... and, and I will. And everybody else will, because I'm sitting here like this saying, Okay, okay, I gotta know. But I, I, you know I, what? I, we'll, we'll save it for the book. I'll do that. No, I, well, no, no. Okay, I, I can tell I, you. <laughs> let me tell you, you just sold a million bucks right here. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. You really do need to read Rich's book, Last Man Down. First-hand story of 9-11 and the valor of those who went rushing into the trade towers as everyone else was running for their lives. Available at your favorite online booksellers. Okay, Rich, something you don't know is that we have a little more than just your appearance on this show tonight. We've got some friends from another television show called The Experience with Jody and Weston Clark. And they want to meet you and they want to present you with something that I think is pretty special. So let's welcome Jody and Weston Clark. Hello, Governor. Hey, Jody. Hello. Weston. Governor. How are Great you? having you here. Nice to meet you. Richard, how are you? Good to meet you, brother. And Rich has no idea why you guys are here. We are so honored to be here, surrounded by such amazing, incredible heroes. We have a TV show called The Experience, as Governor said, where we go and um, surprise, honor, and celebrate heroes because we believe heroes are worth celebrating. And we want to celebrate you and we want to honor you. And here's what we're going to do. We hear that you're a big hunter. And we're getting ready to do this. We are going to honor you with a duck hunt. But not just any duck hunt. This is a duck hunt in one of the finest duck hunting places in the world, Arkansas. <laughs> it is the best. And, and, and not only in the state of Arkansas, but Governor Huckabee will be joining us on that hunt with you as well. Oh, that's and, great. Yes, I will. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you. We're going to have a great time. Oh, I'm sure we will. We're going to be hunting mallards in the flooded timbers of Arkansas. I've often said that uh, the first day in heaven is a flooded timber duck hunt. <laughs> I'm not sure what God has after that, but that's day that's one, day I'm pretty one. sure. <laughs> Let me say, you'll be able to see Rich and me go duck hunting with these two wonderful people on their Discovery show on the Discovery Channel called The Experience with Jody and Weston Clark. You're not going to want to miss it. And now, Keith Bilbrey, I wonder if you've got something else to tell us about in the show. Next, hilarious news stories on In Case You Missed It. And funny man Dennis Swanberg. And we'll discover how school boarding is keeping students from our American history. Huckabee returns in 60 seconds. Welcome back as we come in from the sounds of Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, my favorite band in all of America, and I bet yours too. All right, well, 
Our audience likes them. Well, from bike thieves to tattoo sleeves, we've got the news that'll make an indelible mark on your psyche on a little segment we like to call In Case You Missed It. Well, a criminal who had the hots for a new bicycle ended up behind bars when he targeted the wrong victim in Gladstone, Oregon. Mastermind criminal Adam Valley attempted to steal a locked bike directly in front of the Gladstone Police Department. <laughs> and guess who was watching on their surveillance camera? Oh yeah, the police. Mr. Valley had some moxie come into the police department in his hoodie and his face mask, using bolt cutters to try and make off of the bicycle. But one officer and a trusty stun gun later, Adam Valley was on the way to jail, and not on a bicycle, but on foot. The 26-year-old was charged with theft, criminal mischief, and felon possession of weapons. I wonder if they can charge him for impersonating a criminal. <laughs> or maybe attempted theft without using a brain. <laughs> not sure, but he's probably not gonna be a big wheel in prison. <laughs> and in a related story, a short fortune teller recently escaped prison. Police say he's a small medium at large. Mm. I just want to assure the audience, I did not write that particular line. I take zero responsibility for it. None. All right, a Mr. Jose El Torres was unfaithful to his wife and attempted a grand gesture to get her back. He created an enormous list of things that he's done that hurt her in their marriage, and then he tattooed them across his chest. An original attempt to show regret and seek forgiveness, yes indeed. The tattoo got posted online and it has received lots of attention, but not for the reasons you might think. His chest declares himself a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, a unique spelling of deceiver, and among many other things, he declares himself disrespect all. <laughs> you get that disrespect all? Sounds like a medicine you might take when you're well, it sounds like a medicine. That's all I'll say. It looks like he has room to add bad speller near his belly button, and maybe he should. No word yet as to his wife's willingness to continue their marriage. We can only hope that she's not a teacher, or they may end up getting a door vice. <laughs> and if his wife does dump him and he someday looks for another mate, can you imagine how impressed his new love's gonna be the first time she sees him without his shirt? <laughs> Let's just call this tattoo the ultimate belly flop. <laughs> and finally, and mercifully tonight, we turn to a story on American health. San Francisco physician Dr. Levi Harrison is sounding the alarm for a growing epidemic selfie wrist. That's right, selfie wrist. Dr. Harrison warns that the modern ailment is caused by people using their phone too often to take pictures of themselves. Selfie wrist is a form of carpal tunnel syndrome caused by flexing your wrist inward too often or holding your phone too long without moving. And a study revealed that between 2011 and 2017, over 250 deaths had been associated with taking a selfie. That's a lot of people dying from selfies. How? Well, everything from being gored by a bison while they're up there holding their stupid camera, or shooting themselves, even falling from a cruise ship in the Bahamas. But they got a great shot if the phone is waterproof, I guess. I said they got a great shot if the phone is waterproof. And even... Thank you, Jeremy, I needed all the help I could get. <laughs> and even when a selfie doesn't result in death, it still can cost you dearly. Like the woman in Los Angeles who was in a mu museum full of sculptures, when while trying to take a selfie, she lost her balance and toppled over $200,000 worth of art. Hey, well, I'll take a tingly risk over those outcomes any day ever. Well, unlike a bad speller who works as a tattoo artist, we read the news. My next guest started his career in pastoral ministry. 
Now, somehow that got me into politics, pastoral ministry. I'm not quite sure what happened to this guy, but he ended up on stages all over the nation and the world sharing his joyous and funny outlook on life and faith. He's been a longtime friend of mine. In fact, we used to call each other on the phone and play pranks on one another, but I'm sure we've matured since then. <laughs> I certainly have, as you can tell by some of the things I say on this show. Would you please welcome the Minister of Encouragement, also known as the Swan, Mr. Dennis Swanberg. Oh, thank you, Huck. Hey, it's the truth. I'd call, I'd call Mike when we were pastors, and I'd just break into Billy Graham on the phone and say, Huck, I want you to know that we love you and we have plans for you and literature. But we've misplaced the literature, you know, and I'd mess with his secretary and everything like that. But, you know, I mean, it's easy. You know, it's better to get forgiveness than permission. So we had a lot of fun. And I, I, I grew up with voice impersonation, watching television. I can still see that television, Grandma and Grandpa's television with a doily on top, a doily. Grandma crocheted a doily, man, a doily. Some of you young millennials, you know, a doily. You don't know what a doily is. We love you through Jesus. I love my millennials. I love my millennials. Don't we love our millennials? I've got two millennials, you know, and I love our millennials. But may I just say something very quickly? When you write them a note, be sure to print. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> but I'd watch television. I'd pick up voices, you know. I'd watch Andy Griffith's show. Man, I've always loved Barney. I watched it so much that in our little country church outside of Austin, Texas, I'd be in the back, and the preacher was saying, what should we do with sin? Next thing I knew, I just broke into Barney. went, nip it in the bud. And, <laughs> and then I got nipped in the bud. And... Uh, my daddy, Floyd Leon, when he finished with me, I did Forrest Gump before Forrest Gump was ever created. I basically said, I feel like I've been bit in the buttocks. But uh, I'd keep watching television. I'd watch Jimmy Stewart movies. I, I always enjoyed Jimmy Stewart. John Wayne. Uh, can you imagine if he'd been a preacher? All kinds of things in the Bible. Smoking is in the Bible. Bible says Rebecca saw Isaac and let upon a camel. <laughs> Read your Bible, people. But anyhow, I went to Baylor University, and I was nervous about going to Baylor University because I was, I was raised a Methodist. There's probably some Methodists here. And I was nervous about Baptists. I'd watch Baptists in Austin, Texas all my life. I mean, they go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday night, you know, prayer meeting. I mean, I don't know when they find time to sin, but they do. They're very creative. <laughs> Baptists are going to get sin in. And I went to Baylor, and I really thought everybody would be going, Hello, brother. How are you? I just made some Catholics happy right now. And I got there, and they, were, they, didn't, they weren't like that. They were normal. They, were, they didn't dance much back then. But the girls kissed are real good. And I felt led to join up. Uh, I'd rather smooch and dance any day. I don't know about y'all. Next thing I knew, I was in, they had me in the baptismal pool, the baptismal pool, put me underneath the water, wouldn't let me up till I said tithe. Uh, I remember how I left the pastorate. Uh, you know, Mike went into politics, I went into comedy. I was at First Baptist in West Monroe, Louisiana. Pretty big church. And we were on about three different television stations. And I was always wondering about doing this sort of full time and I'd sneak off and go speak. Well, then I'd come back and fly back in, and I'd go home, and I'd get ready to go to bed with my sugar baby and my boys, both in bed with my woman. I'd go, yeah, go on, yeah, yeah. He went, Dad, we've been sleeping with Mama the whole time you've been gone. I said, well, yeah, go on. You got your bedroom, go sleep. Dad, I don't want to be in there by my bedroom by myself. Go in there, God's in there. He'll sleep with you. Go sleep with God. Finally, I remember I was going to go on the road a few weeks later. I took them aside. Boys, I tell you what, if you'll sleep in your bed while I'm gone, if you'll sleep in your bed the night I get home, it, I'll give you a Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy. Do you hear me? A Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy. And we shook on the Hulk Hogan. 
Sure enough, I flew back into Monroe, birthplace of Delta Airlines. I'm coming down our little ramp back then. I'm coming down. People in there looking at me. That's Swanberg. He's the preacher. We've seen him, you know. Some old deacon's going, they say he's gone all the time. But anyhow, you know, I'm coming down. And all of a sudden, I see Laurie, Chad, and Dusty. Little Dusty, he's a little fella. He sees me. He goes, Daddy, nobody slept with Mama the whole time you were gone. You know, but you know what? If you want to laugh, just go to church. I go to about 140 events a year. You go to church. If you, I was at church the other day at the senior adult thing, and there's these two old boys sitting over there at a table. I guarantee they're 91, 92 years old. They were up there. Well, I went over there, Huck, because I needed some new material, <laughs> maybe a new DVD. So I went on over there, and sure enough, I stood behind him, and I, it was solid gold. One of them, he said, Lester, Lester, yeah, yeah, Lester, yeah. Was it you? Was it you? Or was it your brother that was killed in World War II? Oh, Lester went, oh, that was my brother. <laughs> and the other boy said, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that's me and Huck in a few more years. Dennis, we need to laugh more, and you helped us do that tonight. So I want to begin by saying thank you for being here and just bringing to us some real good, clean, fun humor. Well, thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed doing it. You can have a lot of fun with it. You know, I mean, like you were talking about earlier, you got the Republicans, Democrats, Independents, everybody's uptight. You yeah. Know? So sometimes I'll just break into Ronald Reagan. Uh, well, yes. Uh, no. Uh, maybe. Uh, well, I remember... Years ago, uh, Jimmy Carter and I were having coffee with Abraham Lincoln. And, <laughs> well, then I'll break in my Bill Clinton. Hmm. And, you know, I was in Arkansas at Hot Springs, you yep. know, and did stuff with President Clinton. And, you know, I mean, it was, you know, free game. We have a little bit of fun. And so sometimes I'll just do my Bill Clinton and just say, hi, <laughs> pray for Hillary. But do not email her at this time, okay? Just, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got a brand new book, No More brand Secrets. Brand new book. You know, that's the more serious side. You know, my family, everybody's family has secrets. And we all have secrets. We all have our bumps in the road. And my family is very transparent to help people be liberated. Secrets make you sick. Silence is the enemy of healing. I want you to be liberated. I want people to laugh again. I want people to be refreshed. And we came out with our brand new DVD called Live Refreshed. You know, be refreshed and, and uh, enjoy life. And it's just too short not to enjoy. Did, did people think that you had left the ministry when you went into full time? Well, my mother, Pauline Bernadine, she's still alive, 89. She goes, it's not the same. You stay in that church. I said, Mama, I'll be speaking to more people than I've ever spoken to before. It's not the same, and you know it. <laughs> but now, she'll, she's watching, and she's going, that's my son. I can see her with her little Alfred Dunner outfit, <laughs> little blouse jacket, and the elastic goes, woo, woo. It really, Alfred Dunner, pray about it. And a doily on a the doily TV. on the TV. With, no with, doubt with about the, it. With the antenna with aluminum foil around it. <laughs> well, Swan, you got to come back and be with us again. I hope people will get the book. They need to realize that there is a serious side, not just oh, to yeah. your life, but to everybody's life, but it doesn't mean we can't have joy. And I want you to know that you can hear a lot more humorous stories and soul-building wisdom from Dennis Swanberg. Visit his website. It's pretty easy, dennisswanberg.com. You can also find the book, No More Secrets, as well as a lot of other great resources. He's a great guy, and we're happy to have you here. Right. Thank you, Swan. Look forward to having you back. You. Now, Keith Bilbrey. I hope you can stop laughing long enough to tell us what else is in store for the show tonight. I will try. Coming up, Mike takes on news issues with some common sense. Then, an incredible performance by Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, so don't go away.
Well, join me on the stunningly beautiful Baltic seas of Finland, Sweden, Estonia, Denmark, and St. Petersburg this August for the trip of a lifetime. We're going to be enjoying God's great natural creations, some stunning architecture, and a celebration of freedom while we sail the calm and pleasant waters of the Baltic and Scandinavian areas. We're going to have the entire super luxury ship and we'll have unforgettable music, teaching, and just some old-fashioned wholesome fun and relaxation. This trip is coming August the 9th through the 18th, and don't let us sail without you. For all the details, go to thegreatesttrip.com and sign up and go with me. Well, there have been some news stories this week that have been real head scratchers. We want to take a few moments to set the record straight on what we all heard in the news on a segment called Facts of the Matter. From the pages of my website, MikeHuckabee.com, I bring you a crazy observation. Professor Glenn Reynolds of Instapondent likes to say that all the Democrats had to do to regain power was not to act crazy, and they can't even do that. That may be the understatement of the year. Democrats regained the majority in the House last week on promises to lower health care costs, rebuild infrastructure, and return civility to politics. But in just their first four days, they managed to set a new land speed record for careening from reasonable impersonation of a rational human being to full-on bat poop loonies. <laughs> now, by this time next Thursday, I half expect them to be climbing to the top of the Capitol Dome while screaming gibberish and waving flaming torches. Here's just a little recap of their version of MAGA, Make America Groan Again. I said, make America groan again. <laughs> now, within the first couple of hours, Democrats filed articles of impeachment against the president with no grounds. They moved to abolish the Electoral College, and they put out notices that they would be hiring lots and lots of lawyers for investigations of President Trump, as well as his businesses, family members, friends, acquaintances, chambermaids, dogs, cats, and chia pets. <laughs> then Representative Rashida Tlaib stood in front of a crowd and said she was quoting what she told her young son when she declared that they were going to impeach the bleeping bleep, using possibly the most vile profanity our language offers. Nancy Pelosi refused to criticize her. Now, I'm so old, I can remember when Nancy Pelosi said that if only the Democrats won, would civility return to politics. But that was a few forgotten months ago, so... Speaker Pelosi seems to be having her own mental short circuit, having declared that walls are immoral and claiming that the Constitution makes her the equal of the president, since the executive and legislative are equal branches. Well, yeah, except that Trump is the sole leader of the executive branch and the nation in general, being the only official elected by the entire country and having garnered nearly 63 million votes nationwide. But you'd think that she'd at least know the difference between a president and a representative having lived through 20 presidential elections. <laughs> Add that up. Of course, any discussion of wackadoodle Democratic antics is not complete without Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She hadn't held her first job in politics for more than 48 hours before calling for a radical Green New Deal as well as some other massive programs that would vastly bloat the government, crush individual freedom, blow tens of trillions of dollars, and remake America into a socialist utopia. She still tends to bristle when anyone brings up the fact and math-challenged aspects of her statements, but I'm happy to report that at least she's now moved beyond saying that, well, we'll just pay for it. And now she's being honest enough to admit that she wants to raise what she called the tippy-top income tax rate to 70%. That's right, 70%. But smart liberals know that's not going to get her social utopia paid for. New York Times columnist Paul Krugman is calling for a top tax bracket of 80%. But before you could hire an auctioneer, former Obama HUD Secretary Julian Castro called for a 90% top tax rate. I ain't making this up. Folks, God only requires I give 10%. <laughs> Liberals demand that I only get to keep 10%. 
I'm just glad they're not God, even if they think they are. But hey, why stop at 90%? Back during the 60s and 70s, British rock stars such as the Rolling Stones and Rod Stewart complained that they paid 90% in income taxes. And then when you added in the annual property taxes and other taxes, they were actually being billed for more than 100% of their incomes. And you know what they and other high-earning Brits did? They left the country. No taxes for the UK, period. So in closing, I will note that if the Democrats keep up their current levels of disconnect from their constituents' lives and concerns, as well as from reality in general, they may lose the 33 House from district, or the 33 House districts that Trump won in 2016 that'll be up for grabs again in 2020. By then, Republicans will be itching to replace them with representatives who don't need straitjackets. There you go. <laughs> Well, let's see what you sent in this week that's got your attention from the wide world of news and events. This is from Penny. She lives in Reno, and she writes, actor Christian Bale won the Golden Globe for best actor in a comedy or musical for playing Dick Cheney. He thanked Satan for inspiring his performance. Why does an Englishman weigh in so nastily on a former vice president? Well, I think the answer is simple, Penny, because he's full of Satan, that's why. <laughs> And he made it real clear, and he even confessed it on international television. So thank you, Christian Bale. The next time we need a Britisher to tell us how to live in America, we'll remind you guys who won the Revolutionary War. But that's another matter. <laughs> now, here's a question on the next presidential election from a guy. He calls himself Conservative Carl. He lives in Jackson, Mississippi. And his question is this. He says, with over 50 freshman Democrats taking up office on Capitol Hill, and several having socialist views that tilt further left than many of the Democrats, does this foreshadow a potential White House win for Bernie Sanders in 2020? Carl, I have some good news for you. I think if the Dems continue to go this far left, it will really perhaps signal in a re-election of President Donald Trump in 2020, and Bernie might as well become Colonel Sanders and fry up some chicken. Well, I hope you'll send in your questions or thoughts on the news and issues to my two cents at tbn.tv. And thanks for considering my thoughts this week on Facts of the Matter. All right, Keith, tell us what else is in store for the show tonight. Next living history performer James Riley battles to teach students and Trey Qualley of the Music City Connection perform a Gino Vanilli hit right here on Huckabee. Welcome back to our show. My next guest owns Riley's Farm in Oakland, California. That's a place where kids can learn and live American history. But the local school district cut off all the field trips to Riley's Farm because the owner expressed conservative opinions in his personal time on his own social media accounts and his blog. Now he's teaching them a lesson about free speech with a little lawsuit. Would you please welcome James Riley. James, great to have you here. Good to see you, sir. First of all, let's set the sort of the, the frame. Your farm is a living history farm. And one of the things you've been doing for many years is tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of students have come to see firsthand American history live. Actually, two million students. Two million. Yes, to the farm. And uh, what they get to do is when they get out of their cars or buses, Redcoats greet them and harass them. They get to see the tavern maids, the, the farm implements. They get to see an 18th century tavern. And they get to see the sights and sounds of the period before the revolution. We've got a little video. And I want to show it because I think it'll help frame the conversation. So this is uh, some of uh, what happens at the uh, farm, Riley's farm. This is uh, uh, James Riley speaking to kids on his farm. Let's see the tape. If you don't remember anything about today, we would pray that you remember that there were Americans, and there are Americans of every sort, who love all of you and what you believe in enough to give their lives. 
I know we didn't feed you very well today. You might be a little bit bored listening to me, but pretty soon you get to go on those buses to that wonderful, sweet place called home. Well, we would like you to ponder for just a minute all the Americans throughout time, from Normandy to Fallujah, back to Bunker Hill, who never got to go home. Now, there was nothing ever controversial about your program and what you were doing with the students and your interpretation of history um, because you did things from the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. That was never a point of controversy. No, we never made a point of making contemporary political points. We're not like a zoo where we scold people for being a human on planet Earth. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we, we actually limit ourselves to 200-year-old stories, and that's all we do. But because I made the mistake of expressing NRA opinions and conservative opinions on my personal Twitter account, I'm suddenly persona non grata. And, th and this is not something you peddle off to the kids and said, hey, be sure and follow me on Twitter because you're gonna get my views. No. It's just, that was who you are. Right. You had a right to express that. Right. And the school district started, I guess, in Claremont, California, said, no can do. Kids can't go anymore? Yeah, well, they, they basically took the position that we'd now be an unsafe space for kids. Unsafe. My personal political opinions. Wow. That basically destroys the business you've created of bringing these students out to the farm uh, most people would have just sort of said, oh, wow, that's the end of this and I'm going to roll it up. You did something a little different. You sued them. Well, I think people should understand that if you work for a school district or a public entity, uh -huh. even if you're the painting contractor, you've been working there for 10 years as an independent contractor, if they come to you and say you can no longer work for us because of a political opinion, they can get sued massively for that. The courts have upheld this for the last 50 years. What they don't know that they're doing is they're not just hurting me. They're hurting all the families that work for us. They're putting enterprise out of business. They're hurting the tax base. Ultimately, they're killing themselves. Well, we're going to keep up with the story. We want to find out what happens, and we want to continue to let our viewers know uh, what takes place out at uh, Riley's Farm. I want to say good luck teaching local school officials a little about the First Amendment. Seems like they could use a lesson in that. Uh, hear more from James Riley at jamespatrickriley.com. Go to his website. Uh, book your own fun family trip to beautiful, historic Riley's Farm. There it is on your screen, Riley'sFarm.com. All right, Keith, you are absolutely free to tell us how we're going to finish the show tonight. I would love to. Up next, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection bring back the 70s with a knockout performance. We'll see you in 60 seconds. Forty years ago, singer Gino Vanelli had his biggest hit song, You Couldn't Turn on the Radio Without Hearing, I Just Want to Stop. Now here to perform that smash 1978 hit is our very own Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Thoughts 